All right, friends, welcome back to Nick and Dan's Bible Study Podcast. Hey, quick uh, quick thing. Why do we call it Nick and Dan in that order? We go in the order of who talks the most goes first. So it's Nick and then Dan, because you're the one that we can never get to shut up. I'm pretty sure you just lost all of your credibility on that <laughs> statement, Dan. One of our friends, I said, I joked something like that before to one of our friends, and he just started laughing. Like I, I, I chuckled. I, I chuckle because I, normally I am the one that is by far talking more than anybody else. <laughs> but you know, you're matching, you met you're matching me. Is but not the, in this podcast. <laughs> it's the great equalizer. No, actually, okay. I, I actually made the made the title the Nick and Dan. And the reason I put you first is because Jesus said the last will be first and the first will be last. And I want to be first, so I put you first. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. I appreciate the sacrifice you made on my behalf. Well, now we have no credibility as a podcast. I'll tell you what. um, (laughs) I tell you what. I love Mark's gospel. Uh, I loved our first conversation, Nick. If you guys haven't listened to or watched that one yet, please go back and catch it. uh, Because I think I really want, Nick, I really want this to build on itself. You know what I mean? As we move through, we want to see the connection points throughout this gospel story. It's not just like little vignettes that exist on their own, but it's really this connected narrative, right? Throughout, um, throughout Mark. Yeah, no doubt. And and I mean, we're we're walking with Jesus now, so walking with the rabbi. It, it is it is like this is deep stuff here, and we want to make sure that we're doing it justice. Um, that you'll you'll do it justice with us, um, and that through all this process, we're both going to be we're all going to be transformed as we as we take this journey. Yeah. Here's a, here's an interesting tidbit, Nick. So I'll 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 try to throw in a couple just a couple little Bible nerd tidbits along the way here without going all the way down all these rabbit trails. But I was just kind of refreshing my mind on some of the background of Mark's gospel. Uh, none of none of these um, gospels that we have have a title in the text itself. They were all put on there later, not necessarily a pun later, but not like. A couple minutes later, either they were like they were at it later. So, what's the deal with why the association with this to Mark, who wasn't one of Jesus, was one of the twelve, one of the twelve disciples? And so, there's a guy in the second century named Papias, and his testimony is that uh, Mark got his info from Peter. But here's the interesting thing: Peter said uh, this guy Papias says that Mark put together Peter's teaching, but he didn't have it in order. So like Peter didn't then like dictate it. He didn't sit down with a pen and say, "Okay, Mark, here's the first thing. Here's the second thing." He just he just sat under Peter's teaching, and he started taking notes of the different like messages, the different times Peter would preach. And so, as we go through, not everything is necessarily in perfect order, mm-hmm. because Mark had to kind of fit it together in a way that made sense. So right. that's, that's kind of interesting. Um, as we look at some of the different gospel accounts, but let's uh, let's jump right in, huh? Yeah. Uh, so we are in uh, Mark chapter one, verse uh, starting in verse nine. So let's do. This is the, um, well, the, <laughs> the baptism and the and the testing uh, of Jesus uh, are really just. We see you quick, my man. Mark moves quick. Right, no joke. Mark is like, we're not pausing anywhere. <laughs> no, no, he does. He goes through it really fast. And and I mean, if you think about it, it's so it makes me laugh actually because um, 
you know, pull up Matthew and, and you look at the account of the temptation and, and how long it is. It's like, and, oh, the first temptation is this. And then the second temptation, he did that. And, and there's, 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 there's and then Jesus responded. And how many Sunday morning sermons are there in Matthew's portrayal of this? And here Mark just comes in and says, and by the way, this happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, you know, so it's neat. So, I mean, we're, we almost can't help Nick, right, but but mention some of the details. But, I don't know, we'll, we'll do that, but we'll also try to honor Mark and not, like, spend the whole time talking about what Matthew has to say about what Mark has to say. I mean, we'll, no, you know, right. And I, we want to, you know, we can make reference to it. Um, actually, getting to this text, what I love, you know, is, and I'm, I'm usually, the epistles are a bit different because the epistles are the letters and you kind of got to read them as a whole. When you get into the gospel and you read this, I kind of like the breakdowns now because it maybe more clearly lets you see the progression. So last week when we talked, we talked about John the Baptist laying a foundation, calling for people to wake up and be prepared because you're about to see something. I'm drawing your attention to this moment. Look over here. There's something big about to happen. And now this week when we get into it, before the earthly ministry starts, as we go through this, these next few um, verses, we're going to start to now see Jesus being prepared to launch that ministry. So it's another, to me, this is another day. This, this is another podcast on the preparation preceding Jesus ministry. Yeah. So it's like, get ready, like get ready for the coming of this Messiah. You don't know anything about now. It's this is Jesus kind of coming from relative obscurity. We don't know hardly anything about Jesus in his young adulthood. Very, very little, you know, this, this, this little thing in Luke's gospel when he's kind of an adolescent and then nothing. Um, until this moment where it's like, boom, Jesus comes on the scene. And uh, so uh, let's jump into the uh, the baptism uh, of, uh, of Jesus, according to uh, according to Mark. Uh, you want me to read? You want to read? I'll read. Go. Okay. Yeah, because I always make you read. So I'll read. And that gives me a little sure. bit more airtime. Let's me earn my first position. Yeah. First place. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, know right, you, get, Nick, you get the participation ribbon. PG, thanks. Second place. As far as first loser, is that what you're telling me? Anyway, here we go. The baptism of Jesus. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from the heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. All right, stop there. Okay, I'll stop there. We gotta, we gotta at least talk about that before we get into the. That was a long pause for you too. I mean, I know you got to say something. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I don't have anything to say about this scripture. Gotcha. <laughs> so. Um, Somewhat significant, right? Yeah. So I mean, I always have questions about stuff that I don't really, you know, you know, get uh, Nazareth and Galilee is kind of way up, uh, way up north in Israel, and and where. They believe uh, John was baptizing the Jordan is a good bit away. So Jesus kind of moves out of his home turf at this point to go um, probably where to where John's at. You know, did he hear about what John was doing? Did he recognize that? You know, they have some family history, we know, from other places and stuff. Um, but again, Mark is sort of he has some details, but he's really bare bones in a lot of ways about um uh, about what's what's happening here, you know. Again, in other places, John says to, uh, um, you know, Jesus about 
um, you know, I should, should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. And Jesus says, no, I want to, I want to do it this way. Um, but, uh, you know, here's how it is. So I guess what, maybe what stands out the most to you or significant from Mark's account here of, of the baptism? What maybe just stands out as maybe being worth really uh, noting? Well, the, I mean, obviously the significance of, of everything that happened here, John's baptizing lots and lots of people, but this one is different. Um, you know, I, I don't know that in this account you can grasp or, or get a real clear image of what it means for the heavens being torn open. Um, is that a metaphor? Is that something that happened physically in the environment? Uh, it's it's kind of hard to grasp as you read this this brief account of what's going on. Yeah. Um, because yeah. metaphorically, it's significant that the heavens were being torn open, that this was a significant event that was happening. Um, but in reality, you know, something very well may have happened. You know, I don't know what it means when it says the heavens are torn open. It's hard it means to get something. It mean, I mean, it means something. You don't just like, sure. that's just a word you use for like, yeah, like I had a good feeling in my, I, I had like a tingling in my whatever. Like, no, something, something's going on here. Um, yeah, and, and it's interesting too because when you think about all the places in Scripture where there are these graphic visionary details given, and that's not what's happening here. <laughs> so yeah. it's like what? Yeah, it was sort of like yeah, like well, it's like in um, Revelation when John like what he sees, like he tries to describe what he sees, and it's like uh, it's kind of like this, and like like you know what does it mean? The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. Like what is? Right. What's like a dove? Like, is it a dove? Is it looks kind of like a dove? It's that's the closest thing I can come up with. Like, what you know, what is what is it? Um, but it obviously is a significant experience. It's got to be significant for John. Uh, I think it's significant for for Jesus um, as well. So there, there's a lot there's a lot going on in these few in these few verses. Um, and that thing you mentioned about heaven. Heaven torn open um, is so fascinating, and I and I just did uh, spend a couple minutes looking at um, uh, N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, has these little commentaries. They're really accessible, and I would recommend them. It's called uh, this one we called Mark for Everyone, so it's very accessible. Uh, and he talked about something that I never really thought about, but this idea that there's there's always Nick this heavenly reality. There's always things going on beyond what we can see, like right. kind of in God's realm. And in this moment, it's like that's torn open. Like the veil of what we see as normal is like torn open. And there's this whole spiritual reality of what God is doing behind the scenes. And this is like a moment of a glimpse of some of that beyond what we can see um, stuff and even beyond what we can hear because we have God's voice like speaking. Right. Like all, I mean – my, under, my comprehension of this is, is audibly. Like, it's not like, you know, we talk about like, I feel like God God told me. Right. We hardly, we always always qualify. Now, I didn't hear a voice, right? We say, like, you know, Nick, I feel like God told me that I need to go out and reach out. To, but I didn't hear a voice. I mean, I didn't hear God. Right. I just, I just like felt like that. Like, I read this. I think what he's saying here is like, they hurt like. John heard the John the Baptist heard the voice. Jesus heard the voice. If anybody else was there, they heard the voice, the voice of God. Right. And uh, that's, I mean, that's pretty. I would love to hear the voice of God. 
you know, I, yeah, well, I'm not yeah, going to get on that. Cause I, you know, that there's certain things that, um, I would welcome, but I would also somewhat be timid in fear. Right. So yeah, yeah. if God's yeah. going to speak to me, it's probably going to be a significant reason or a significant point. Uh, but yeah. I know lots of people who, who have, who've said exactly that, you know, I was at a place in my life where I heard, I literally heard the voice, the voice of God speak. It's only ever happened to me once in my life. Um, I long for it to happen again, but it happened one time. And so, I, I mean, there are people out there that very much have a, have a, uh, um, an experience with that. Yeah. Uh, but this is, you know, that, that piece of it is, I I'm with you. I get a sense that this is an audible voice that people heard. Um, you know, again, I, I'd be hard pressed to, to really describe what that heaven being torn open would yeah. mean or look like. But I do believe when it says the you know the voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with and with you I am well pleased. I mean, I think that was an audible voice. Like that was comprehended by the people that were there. Yeah. And you know, the, the other there's a lot of interesting things here, but um, you know, sometimes uh we ask the question, you know, Christians have had this theological belief in, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and we try to like get our minds around what that means. And, and some people come up with different things that aren't really on track. And they say, was that really in the Bible? Or did we just kind of make that up later? This is an interesting, like we can see it here. You have God, the voice of God, the father, the God, the spirit descending and God, the son, Jesus all in the same moment. So that's, right. that's pretty cool. I think like if somebody were to say, is the Trinity biblical? I'd say, here you go. There's a spot. Right. You know, right there. That's yeah, pretty, for real. Significant, pretty significant. Um, of, uh, of that, you know, and, uh, you also mentioned about, you know, the voice of God. Um, so you, you were making me think, I wonder like if God were to say one thing audibly to me, what would he say? <laughs> there's, a, there's a better question. W would you hear it or would you be talking? <laughs> we know the answer to that already. <laughs> that God's voice has to be loud enough to be louder than me. I mean, God's going to be bigger than me. I mean, yeah, you know. I would, I would we know. also know. We also know that He is the quiet voice that you have to pause and you have to listen for. Well, I mean, that's really a a a prayer point, you know. There, Nick. You know, when we spend those quiet moments, when we pray. Are we just rattling off? Got any of this? Help me with that. This person's struggling. This person needs healed. This person, da, da. um, yeah, that's surprising. God might have just been speaking through you to me. I don't know. Just right there, it's very, it's very possible, Nick. <laughs> it's very possible. But you know, in other in other instances, even like in the Gospels that have the early stuff, like with Mary and uh, Joseph and that kind of stuff. You know, when the angels would come and give a message from God. Usually when the angel shows up, like they're freaking out. Like the first thing the angel says is don't be afraid. Cause like when God shows up, you're like, Oh crap. Like I'm, I'm in, I'm in trouble. Right. Like I gotta be in trouble. Or so it's, it's just the terror of being in the presence of an angel. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's part of it too. No doubt. Um, so what's the significance of what, the voice of the father, the voice. Well, I guess here it just says a voice from heaven. Um, what about the content of what's, what's the significance of, um, you know, of, of, of what is said there and what is heard? What is the significance? Great question. You are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. Um, 
I think we could probably make an entire podcast of that. There's certainly an affirmation. um, And was that an affirmation because that his, his years to date now to his ministry have been well-lived? Is that an affirmation? Um, Is it an affirmation of, uh, you know, I don't know the manifestation in human form. I, you know, that I don't know. I mean, I honestly don't know. I would struggle with that one. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of questions, you know, there's a lot of questions, you know, how, you know, at what point in his life did Jesus fully understand his identity? You know, was there, was there ever a point where he was, you know, not always sure. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, I wouldn't want to say that, right. but it seems significant um, that, uh, that this affirmation is what it is. Now, you could say that you are my son could mean something also for, you know, for John or for whoever else was there, just an affirmation like, yeah, Jesus is the real deal. Right. Like, this is the son of God. Okay. So wake up. But I have to think, Nick, that you are my son whom I love, or you are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. It almost seems like that has to be for Jesus himself. It seems that way. You know, as much as for the other audience, because they're like, you know, like if you were like, like if you were to say to your kid, actually, I heard you on the phone yesterday talking to both your kids and you're very affectionate, you know, reminding them that you love them and stuff like that. I mean, that to me is like, okay, yeah, Nick's a great guy, but Nick, great dad, but it didn't mean as much to me as it means to them mm. you know, to know that they're loved by their father. Um. I don't know. And again, it gets, again, it makes me wonder, you know, did Jesus need that affirmation as he embarked on what was going to first be a, be a testing or trial. And then really a whole life of a whole another three years of testing and trial, you know, of, are you going to really fulfill what you, what you come to do, you know, or are you going to be distracted? Um, yeah. And this is a great, line of thinking too, because I mean, just a reminder comes from, you know, the garden of Gethsemane when we know he struggled with them. Like he, there was a human side of him that struggled, like, you know, let, let this cut pass me by so that we, we knew this wasn't just like, yeah, I know what I'm doing here. I'm just going to go through it. There was a struggle going on. And so, as you yeah. said, you know, maybe he needed to hear this. I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think this is the first good place in the podcast where we go to the audience is there a biblical reference that brings more clarity to this particular line? Like, yeah. is there a big biblical reference? And and again, biblical reference, I don't want, Oh, I was always taught kind of thing, but um, mm-hmm. you know, as you dig in, cause I guarantee you that Dan and I are going to dig in until next Tuesday. Um, but as you dig in after listening to this, is there, is there some place where you can go to that helps you understand this passage? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I think your mention of the of the Garden of Gethsemane, Nick, is, is, is one of the better ones, one of the better places to go. And, you know, and we tend to, you know, we know that one of our theological affirmations, you know, is that Jesus is fully God and fully human. In my mind, we tend to put the focus on the fully God. Yeah, I, I think so. I think you're right. And how we think about him. Well, he's God. Of course, he can do whatever he's God. He's God. You know, of course, he can do his God. Um, I think we sometimes undervalue the full humanity aspect. Right. And that, and that piece in the garden is telling, like if he, if he knew with ever without a doubt, like, why would he, like he prays father, if it is possible, may this cup pass from me. Like if he was, 
You know, that has to be a human moment, right? Like, why, yeah. would, you, why would you even pray that if you never had any struggle, at, like, at all, if even, you know, going through with it? But he said, but not what I will, but what you will. Right. So there's a substantial, um, when Jesus became incarnate, became a man, there's a substantial, I think, setting aside of some power and privilege more than we maybe account for sometimes. Right. Um, that we need to realize that. I, I, so I think, I mean, I don't know if I'm going out too much on a limb here, but I think this affirmation of Jesus gave him a sense really of, of security as he embarked on what he was about to begin. Right. You know, just to, just to knowing like, this isn't like, this isn't nuts. Like I'm not just crazy for thinking that I'm the son of God. Like, you know, it, it, it really is. Um, and it's also, I think, Nick, for us, because remember, even from Colossians and other places now, so Jesus is baptized, but now we're told now we're baptized into Christ so that we're kind of, that we're, we're, we're with him through the whole deal now. Yeah. And we've talked about this, but not, you know, in the context of this passage, but this is like the affirmation of, of discipleship. This is the gospel, the gospel truth. That when we receive, you know, the righteousness of Christ as a gift from God and we trust in him, that this becomes, in a sense, true of us. That we're, we're accepted, we're loved hmm. before we begin the discipleship journey. Right. Right. We're already accepted and then we go out and do it. Right. It's not like he doesn't say, this isn't like on the cross, God peeks out from the things and says, okay, now, now good job. I wasn't sure if you were going to do it. You know, now, now you earned my love. He's still saying, no, before you do anything in the gospels, I love you. Right. You know, you're my son. You can, you can serve, you can minister, you can do everything you do in the affirmation that you know who you are and that you know that you know who you're loved, that you know, you know you're loved. Right. And I think that's big. Absolutely. Um, so the next, the next piece of it goes on. Um, to talk about what you mentioned about this human element, how we sometimes undervalue the human element. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to look forward to talking about this. You want me to go ahead and read again? Yeah. Or? yeah. So moving on, the spirit immediately drove him in, out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. <laughs> the wild animals is the piece that I don't like. I'm like, I do not know what that means. <laughs> like, I mean, I know what it means, but I don't know. I don't know why it's significant, but. Well, know, I mean, and, and again, this piece of it is so different than Matthew. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it, it brushes over it so quickly. One of um, the, yeah. One, one of the interesting things is the only Mark does this. And even, the translation here kind of like tamps down the the meaning of this uh, of this word for sent him out. Uh, the word is ekbalo, the Greek word. It means like to throw something. It's it's literally like the Holy Spirit tossed Jesus out in the wilderness. And I think uh, like when Matthew and Luke did theirs, they were like, I don't know if that's the word I want to use. Like that's <laughs> like that's like sounds kind of harsh, you know. Uh, the Holy Spirit's like boom, like go out, go out there, get out there. Time to, time to get tested. Uh, and, and, you know, prove yourself. So um, good. Well, you know, again, I mean, anytime you talk about this temptation in the wilderness, I, I have to laugh. Um, and you don't get it out of this as much, obviously you get it in the more expanded account because he tests him with 
you know, uh, with pride and, and, and comfort and all kinds of things. Whereas here he's just tested, but think about this for a moment. Here comes Satan along. And again, this may, this may be a testimony to the importance of the humanity, right? Satan comes along to God and says, I'm willing to give you all of your created things. If you bow down to me now, think about that for a moment. I Satan am willing to give you God, all of the things that you created. How silly is that? Like, of course, he's not going to bow down to him. He already controls everything, made everything, owns everything, whatever it might be. So that you got, you have to look at that temptation. He's going for the human side, right? He's, he's like, Nick, we said we said we weren't going to get all on the details there because I can go there, baby. I'm, I'm trying to. I don't want to go into the individual details of the of the Matthew account. I'm just simply saying it's like when well, you put that, that temptation. What was that temptation? And Nick, this is uh, some of this too is right up your alley because it's sort sort of like I think a lot of the temptations amount to like shortcuts. Like, hey, you don't have to go through suffering. Let's just get it done. Like, you don't have to do this. Like, I can just get. Like, if you just want to sell out or compromise or just use your power to, to just exert yourself. Like you can get this done some other way, Jesus. You don't, right. you don't have to do this cross route. You know, you know, Satan would be like there in the garden, like let this cut. He's like, yeah, we don't have to do the cross. Right. We can do the power play. Like we can do it another way. Um, and I think, you know, Nick, to be honest, that's, that's a good temptation for us today. As we think of, we think yeah. about it, like, you know, hey, just, you know, just use your power. Hey, if you just get the right elected officials in Washington, you can get the kingdom done. Maybe. Absolutely. You know, or if you just have yeah. enough money, if we just throw enough money at it, you know, we can just buy it. We can just buy the kingdom. And uh, n- no, that's not the way it works. It's, no, it's not. It, it's, it's a cross shape, feet washing, uh, humble service deal. That's the only way the kingdom works. Yeah, it's um, a complete submission to God's will. And, and you know, the right now, you're right, Dan. I mean, Satan is crafty and and Satan tried to play into his human nature on this trail. Satan continues to play into our human nature today, thinking that, Hey, I know God told you to to do it this way to submit and serve, but come on, man, you can, you can take this. You can beat it. Why would you want to, why would you want to take that long to do it? You can do it today. Right. Come on, pick up your, pick up your gun, man. Pick up your, pick up your vote, pick up your, you know, come on, go do it cross that looks painful i had somebody recently say um and I, I found this so interesting it's so impactful that from the time i heard it i just keep repeating it repeating and repeating it you know there was a pastor i was talking to recently who says satan doesn't even know my name because i'm so awesome or well because I'm, I'm so insignificant right oh okay I thought he meant because he gave up on me because I'm not ironic. No, 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 no. It's, just it's like, you know, Satan doesn't know my name. Satan is not walking around me uniquely. And you know what? I, I thought about that. I pondered that. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, because Satan's really smart. He doesn't have to know your name. He doesn't have to know your heart, your DNA like God does. All Satan needs to understand is human nature. Yeah, right. Because as Satan yeah. understands human nature, he casts these temptations out in front of you knowing full well he might not get everybody but he's going to get a lot yeah i mean he's only gonna have like three tools of his toolbox right like power money and sex like just throw those three out you're gonna catch like 99 of people right that's with, it with one or the other like it's not that hard <laughs> and, and and so when we get into this today so many people are lured like this this past year we we talked an awful lot about that human response to the political environment 
That's pride. That's power. That's, you know, it's a whole lot of things, but it's not what God called us to. Yeah. And so here Satan comes along and says, I can create this environment where people will sell their souls out. Yeah. And they, and they will like, oh, like you, I mean, you have to lie and cheat, but I mean, we're going to get laws passed that are what God wants, but absolutely. I mean, I mean, yeah, you have to, you know, you have to kind of do some bribes or, I mean, obviously that that's extreme, but you know, there comes a point with which we sometimes become willing to, you know, the, the ends justify the means kind of thing. Exactly. That's not how and the we, kingdom works. No, you know? you're right. You're, you're, man, that is so powerful. You're right. The ends, the ends, uh, justify them. No, 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 they don't. The end never justifies the means unless the means is the way God told you to do it. Yeah. What, and all, and all he's really asked us to do is, is the means and the ends are his responsibility. Uh, yeah. Right. You, you make disciples Well, you're not responsible for the, you know, the ultimate outcome. All you're responsible for is to do what God's told you to do. Yeah. You know, and he's not told you to do what only he can do. <laughs> and sometimes we get that confused. Right uh, along the way there. So, you know, there's a lot in the temptation, but, you know, it's interesting that Mark and Nick, some some of these early Christians would have only had Mark for a while. So it's interesting that they, you know, we're really blessed to have the, the scripture that we do. Um, for some, they would have only known that he kind of, he was tempted for a while. I wonder what this paragraph, like, like, did he, did his, did his pencil, maybe his pencil tip broke when, when Peter was preaching and he only got the, the short version of it. So. Yeah. Well, what, you know, what, and how did, I mean, there's a lot of rabbit trails we can go on. And like, so, so how did even like, how did Peter know about this? He would only know what Jesus told him about it. Right. Um, or, you know, and maybe, or you're, you're, or he didn't remember everything. I, I don't know. And then the Holy Spirit's inspiration. I don't know. It's a, it's a whole big deal. You know, I don't, I don't know all, you know, I don't know everything about it, but um, it is, uh, it is interesting. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many things here. Uh, also, you know, he's, He's in the wilderness for 40 days. Um, you also have the, um, you know, people in the, the Old Testament story in, in the wilderness for 40 years. Right. Or entering the promised land. You know, so there's more. There's We talked last time about that Old Testament stuff, Nick. There's so many Old Testament allusions and analogies and stuff here. Right. So for these gospel uh, authors, you know, Jesus is the new Israel, the faithful Israel. And so where they were unfaithful in the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus is faithful in the wilderness for 40 days. Right. Right. There's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of places we can go with this stuff. Lots of connection. That's why you got to keep coming back to the scripture. You can't be like, oh, I know that. Oh, the test. I know about that. You know, no, 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 no. You don't know everything. I don't know everything about it. There's a lot more to learn uh, here. So we keep coming back to it. Yeah. Um, but then the wild animals, Nick, which animals were they? That's what that's, that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of thing we do. Like, oh, don't worry about what the temptations are. Let's think about like what the animals might have been. <laughs> we know it's interesting because I never realized that. Again, Matthew, as he lays out the temptation, doesn't talk about the wild animals. Yeah. So that was kind of when I read this. That was kind of new to me. I mean, it's like wild animals. I never picked up on that before. Like, what? Uh, what? What is right. that? Which is it's 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 interesting because the vast majority of New Testament scholars think that uh, Matthew and Luke used Mark as kind of their, the, the baseline to kind of build upon, to add the more, you know, add more details information, but they, but Matthew like drops off the, like, well, the animals now nah, we'll, let's not use scroll space for that. <laughs> let's get, you know, we'll talk about something else. <laughs> or maybe they just said, why did he put that in there? Why, I, I don't know. 
there's probably more of a reason than, than you know. Somebody would jump in and tell us what the significance of the wild animals are. And that's true. And we invite that, obviously, from you listening to this. I mean, if you know, if you've, if you've heard a study or a, uh, maybe another podcast on this, please share it with us in the comment section and, and bring it to the table on Tuesday when we get together. But it's... And, it's uh, and, and probably even more significantly, right, and the angels attended him. Right. Um, Which is consistent. Yeah, it, it, it is interesting. I, Nick, I think this. I think this passage of scripture has the humanity of Jesus all over it. Right. Um, more, you know, obviously, like the if the previous passage had the, the the divinity of Jesus, the hey, this is God's son. Right. Um, this passage has the he's human, and here's the thing: if it was a if it was a a, a done deal before the temptation, it, it's not really a temptation. For it to be a temptation, there has to be a possibility that Jesus would not have been faithful through it. Right. So he's, you know, he he holds he holds strong. You um, know, and that that opens up. Man, I don't want to I don't want to jump into the speculation world at all. But man, gonna... <laughs> well, no, no, I heard I heard something recently that really caught my attention too, as somebody was presenting where kind of where I started, like. God obviously knows that everything's him. So what's he really tempting him with? Nothing. He already, he already owns it. So, how, But the humanity side, it was almost like, well, why wouldn't Satan try to tempt Jesus' humanity? God's chosen people have been tempted and failed miserably throughout all of history. So this body, Satan acknowledges this body is weak. I might be able to you know, tempt him. Now, again, I, I don't know. I've only ever heard that once in my life, but it's sort of like that idea where hmm, there's probably some meat on that bone. I need, I need to study that a little bit more too. There's a lot here. And the other, I think really significant part of the humanity of Jesus here is that as we're his disciples now, that we have the ability to stand strong in temptation also. So we tend to say, Oh, we get, Oh, I mean, of course Jesus had the resources. He's God. Right. The point is, and again, when we turn the pages of the other Gospels and we see, you know, how does Jesus answer the accusations of Satan with Scripture? Hey, guess who else has Scripture to use? We do. Right. You know, it doesn't say like, oh, Jesus just called down angels. That, that was a temptation. Right. right. No. What, what did he use? The same resources that are available to us. Power of the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures, knowing the Scriptures and knowing them in context because Satan can quote scripture out of context, right? Um, right. So, you know, and so the, the point is that we learn from Jesus, uh, you know, we accept his faithfulness as a gift to us, but then we join him in his faithfulness as, as we have the ability to kind of follow in his footsteps uh, along the way there. So I think that's significant because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired of people saying, we well, yeah, yeah, but yeah, but he's God. Yeah, but he's God. Yeah, but he's God. I mean, Calm in the wind and the waves. Okay, you know, yeah, he's God, but withholding temptation, I I think he gives us power to do that. We should be better at that, much better than that than we are. We like our comfort, and we're willing to yield to. We like our pride, and we're willing to yield. You know, we like our 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 um. You know, uh, I guess I guess my point is that we we like our excuses. I'm only human. Like, right. How am, I gonna, how am I gonna withstand temptation? I'm just, a, I'm, you know, I'm I'm gonna sin, so whatever. Well, I get the excuses, you know? but I, I'm gonna take it a bit further and say there's a certain sense of that same pride that happened in the garden, where it's like, 
yeah, God, no, God needs me to get this done. I have to go do this, you know, and that's just pride talking and it's so wrong. Um, anyway, I'm going to, you know, we got about 10 minutes for a normal point. So I'm going to go on and and keep reading here. I love Um, you being in charge. That's why your name is first. Is that it? Yeah. This is the first time I'm taking turns. (laughs) Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Woo. I like this part. Yeah. Um, there's a lot yeah. of meaning here though, too. I mean, there's yeah. a, more than most yeah. people probably understand. Yeah, for sure. So we start with John and he's in prison. Doesn't tell us anything, doesn't tell us anything more than that, but, um, uh, we're, we're given more information about that elsewhere, but we'll kind of put that to, to aside, uh, for a minute. So Jesus goes, uh, into Galilee, which is you know, the general area of kind of his home turf. Um, and he's proclaiming the, the gospel. So here we get an interesting conversation, Nick. What is the gospel? And this section kind of throws people off their game sometimes because the stuff that Jesus calls gospel isn't always what we call gospel. Uh, um, that, that's right. I mean, and I'm going to take a stab at this because I want you to, to correct me, but as I would understand this, the gospel of God is the Messiah come, man. The, the, the moment is here where... Um, the ministry is being announced for sure. And the clock begins to tick on the cross. Um, the, the clock really begins to click on the clock or the, you know, the public ministry begins, the clock begins to tick on the, 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 the journey towards the cross and the resurrection. Yes. But here's the challenge. He's calling them to respond now. Right. And it's pretty clear that the cross is not in there. I mean, they don't get that at all. I mean, we're going to see that. It's going to be a big, 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 big theme throughout Mark is Jesus is like, I got to get you guys to understand the cross. Right. <laughs> like, you guys right. are really bad at understanding the cross. And, and, you know, obviously the cross and the resurrection are non-negotiable aspects. These are crucial here. But this is what I think is significant, Nick, is that even there's something – if you will, there's something that the cross and the resurrection accomplish themselves. Um, and that is right here. It involves the kingdom of God. Uh, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God uh, has, my translation says, come near. Did you just say arrive? Uh, has uh, arrived. Mine's kingdom of God is at hand. Kingdom of God is at hand. Like the right. kingdom. And that's what they were. That's what they were, were looking for. That's God's. God's rule and reign. Like they're looking around and being like, uh, this is a mess. This, uh, this place we're living, it's all jacked up. It's not what it's supposed to be. There's Romans here. We're not, you know, uh, we're back in the temple, but the Ark of the Covenant's not there. It's not, you know, there's all these things that are wrong. And they're, and they're looking for this. They're waiting for this restoration of what, of God's, you know, God being in charge kind of, again, the way it felt like it was. I mean, not, you know, God always is in a, in a way. That's complicated. But he's always in charge, So, but it's okay. Well, it's a big conversation. It is a big conversation. He's always in charge when you pull back that curtain like right. in, the, in the baptism. But when you look around and people are doing all kinds of crap, including God's people, they're not doing what he wants them to do. So what does that in, what does it that in charge look like? Like he's always 
he's always directing things in the big picture the way he wants them to, but not his people aren't always doing what he wants them to do. Right. So what is, I mean, if you're, if you're in charge of the uh, East regional conference, but all the pastors are doing what you don't want them to do, are you in charge? Or not? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. You are, but. No, but I'm saying in his, in his role, that yes, that is exactly. Not, you know. not only is that the way things are supposed to happen. I mean, that's the way he designed the creation, that right. free will component. So just because his people weren't doing what he wanted them, they wanted it. Yeah. What he wanted them to do yeah. doesn't mean he wasn't still in charge. They were opting to be with him in his charge or not. Right. So, and so what, what was about to happen? I mean, you know, announcing that the kingdom of God is Messiah has come. And certainly the death and resurrection will, will, will sort of put the exclamation point on that. But what he's announcing here is the kingdom of God is at hand. And for the next three years, I'm going to show you what that means. And boy, do people miss that point right there. So getting back to what you said earlier, Dan, about, you know, people cop out too quickly on their humanity, like, oh, I, I can't be perfect. I'm human. You know, that sort of thing. This is where Christians cop out. Jesus is about to show you what obedience to God looks like in the flesh. Flesh. He's going to walk his disciples through what it means to actually fulfill God's obedience in the flesh. In other words, you are human. I am human. We all can do this. We yeah. can achieve this. And the fact that so many, Christians, so many Christians will cast that aside and say, I don't have to do it the way he did it. Well, and the fact that we haven't is, is the whole gap. So, you know, God is the king. God is in charge. But the people, the people he's created aren't acting like it. Right. But there's a disconnect between the Lord, the master, the king, and the subjects of the kingdom. Like it's right. not, there's this gap here. And so the, Jesus is saying, I'm closing that gap. The kingdom of God, you know, God, the time when God's people do what God wants them to do is at hand. Like we're closing that gap. We're bringing the kingdom is coming. Um, and and that's part of what, you know, he's talking about the cross. So the the kingdom and the king, of course, who is Jesus. That's what, again, that back to our whole deal last week. Messiah means king. So the kingdom of God coming is the king coming. Jesus is the king. Right. Now, he's the king who dies on the cross. He's a self-sacrificing king. Right. And the way of his kingdom is a cross-shaped kingdom of self, you know, service and sacrifice, not of power and getting my way. That's, you know, that's that's vital. Um, but still, Nick, for most of us, when we think, so he says, you know, the kingdom of God has come, he, come near uh, or is at hand. And Jesus here connects that with gospel. That's gospel. And still, I think 80%, 90% of the time, when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about how do you get to go to heaven when you die? Yeah. I, right. And and obviously, like that's a so I mean, it's not it's not the core point that he's hitting here. Right. And I would argue it's not the core point anywhere in the New Testament. Right. And it's you know, it's that. The reign of God is is come near. It's already it's already now you know present in the power of of Jesus, and it's going to come to fruition when He returns. And it's only then when uh, people start people that trust in the Messiah Jesus start dying before He comes back. That's when we say, "Don't worry, don't worry. They're safe with Him, right? They're in paradise. They're in heaven. Like it's it's okay. You don't have to worry about them." But the ultimate hope is still the fullness of the kingdom come, the new creation. Right. That's the hope 
not like, oh, hey, now we can all go somewhere else later. I mean, and again, if that, if people, if that, if you don't like that, if that challenges you, just say, well, what's going on here? What does the scripture seem to be saying? Um, all right, what else? What are you going to say about this? <laughs> not too much. I mean, I think, I think, um, well, let me say this. I'm hoping that our Tuesday discussion is very lively. And again, as we talk about scripture, you know, Mark does summarize these things so briefly, and yet there's still so much that has to be said about it. Like there's still so much meaning in the, in this, um, in this book. Um, and, and he almost by his brevity, he forces us to really work harder to dig into it. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, just a way to put it. It's, it's because now I can't look, I can read this, but I know that there's more there. I can't just stop here. I know. So, and that's the, and that's the evangel. Well, like we don't have to, like we should be comparing the gospels. I mean, really ultimately, you know, and we, and knowing that we have, that's why we can actually be really, really thankful. Like, thank, thank God we have, we have Matthew also. Right. You know, because, it, because you appreciate like when you, one thing we can think about, you know, as we kind of read Mark, read through Mark, and we're going to probably mention every week something from another gospel or something like we all, like we've been doing, but just appreciate the gift that we have of having four, four accounts of the gospel. I mean, it's significant. And, and, you know, even so the gift that God gives us, not only do we have four accounts of the gospel, they're almost specifically written for different, I, I don't want to say personality types, but for, for, personality types in the way that people think, right? We all think differently. And so each of the gospels is written kind of to, to a different dynamic of the creative mind, the legalistic mind that, you know, whatever it might be, uh, we can go and really do research and go, you know, I, I get what this one's saying now. I understand that better. So, you know, yeah. God is infinitely wise. Like he, he really, is just like, here's a gift I'm yeah. giving to my people. Use it, yeah. read it. Yeah. And people, you know, and as the church, the early church received these, you know, these accounts, these gospel accounts, like they very quickly realized like, yeah, like we, we need all these. Like, it's not just like, well, I think I'm just going to do Matthew and I really don't need the other ones. You know, they were like, they knew And even though there's like differences and those differences are things that like have to be like wrestled through somewhat. Like why is he said this here, but that there and make it, making sense of that is something we could spend a lot, a lot of good time doing. But they said even even that doesn't matter because it's so good. Like there's so much goodness here. Like we can't we can't say that the challenges will get in the way of the benefits of having all this, you know, um, all this rich stuff. So, all, all right. right, friends, thanks for joining us. We'll see you Tuesday. This coming Tuesday. Um, tell us about everything that we missed. Tell us about everything that we got wrong, and we'll. We'll work it out together. <laughs> and, and we should have lots to talk about. So thank you all for, for joining us. Take care. Have a great weekend. Okay, guys. See you soon. We love you. Bye.